0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. Uh, we are excited about uh, jumping into uh, our ongoing study of the Revelation. Today we'll be in Revelation chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 11. My goal is to finish 19. That may or may not happen based on it's a lot it's a lot to work through, uh, but uh, we, my goal is to get through all of it today. If not, we'll pick up what we don't get. Uh, next week. So uh, go ahead and turn there. That's where we'll be today. If you want to catch any of this study of the revelation that you missed... You can go to themanchurch.com. This Bible study is brought to you by themanchurch.com. We are a men's discipleship strategy. We provide all the resources that you need to reach and disciple uh, the men in your church, in your community. We have multiple 40-week curricula. We have speakers that will go out for for your events or your services. Uh, It's high challenge followed by high equipping. You can find all that information by going to themanchurch.com. We have over 800 churches around the country that are implementing the strategy and using our curriculum, uh, they are designed for men. And I, we just got a, a uh, an email from a pastor just this week that said, "You don't know what it's like to try to search for curriculum for men." And thank you that you guys are providing that. and And it is uniquely designed for men. Uh, I had another person email and said, "Hey, I've never done a Bible study before. Can you suggest anyone that would help me as a rookie?" And I said, "They're all designed." for people who have never uh, led a Bible study before. They're all designed. Anyone can facilitate uh, the Bible studies the way they are designed, and uh, and we're getting just incredible testimony. So I hope that you'll join us if you haven't already. Now, if you'd like to find out where some of our speakers will be, let's just look at— at, uh, at September. Now, if a speaker is going to be at a man church service, that means that church is either already in the strategy or they're kicking off the strategy. And we got a couple going on this weekend. I'll be headed to Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Uh, they're, they're already doing the strategy, but this is their next man church. Uh, Scott Dawson spoke at their last one. I'll be speaking at this one at Sand Spring Baptist Church. Now, for the ladies that watch this Bible study, if you're around that area, I am staying in the next morning on Sunday morning, the 10th. Uh, I will be teaching uh, at both services. So if you'd like to come to that, you can. I'll be in town and staying at Sand Spring Spring for uh, for Sunday worship as well and honored to bring those messages. Now on the 10th, also that, that evening, Ozark Baptist Church in Ozark, Alabama, they're kicking off the strategy with Brian Gunn. Looking at September 22nd, Udawah Baptist Church in Ottawa, Tennessee. They're going to do kind of a man church one day. Two of our speakers will be there uh, and plugging men into the small group, Andy Blanks and Lance Ingram will be there. Those of you that are fans of the Rick and Bubba show, Lance is the one that does the Dr. Lou character. He'll be there, and he's he's written a great book called Warrior. He's one of our teachers, and you'll, you'll love hearing Lance. Andy Blanks, of course, writes all the study guides that go with our curriculum. He'll be there speaking as well, so you'll get a lot out of that if you want to join them. The 28th, a couple of man churches, Northside Baptist Church in Jasper, Alabama. Andy Blanks, they're already in the strategy. This will be their next one. Uh, also on the 28th, Winfield Baptist Church in Winfield, Alabama they're already in the strategy. They're in their third curriculum. Tony Cooper will be there and then on October the 1st, Salem Baptist Church Lake Mississippi, Todd Jones will be there and they're kicking it off. There's others in October but we don't have time for that today, but you can find those by going to the manchurch.com. Everything that you need is there. I will also tell you this. I'm starting to get a lot of emails from those of you that attended the Man Church conference the first one we've ever done uh, last year in Oxford, Alabama and you're 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 excited about 2024. There'll actually be two Man Church conferences. One will be February the 16th and 17th, in Birmingham, Alabama, at Samford University. And then there'll be a second one, March 8th and 9th, at uh, Mississippi State University. Uh, And it will be uh, there in Starkville, Mississippi. Now, those tickets are about to go on sale in a couple of weeks. Now, if you went to the conference last year and you put your email in that you wanted first shot at tickets, you're about to get an email here pretty quick. Uh, so, uh, so just be aware of that. A lot of you are starting to ask me about those dates now. Those are those dates, and you can get those on the calendar, and we'll keep you posted on when the tickets will go on sale. So let's jump into uh, a word of prayer, and let's prepare to unpack what God has to say today. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the incredible opportunity to unpack your holy word. And Lord, today, just uh, looking ahead to the most anticipated event since the fall of mankind, since you, since the resurrection, Lord, uh, when you stood before us and you ascended back to your proper place, we have been waiting on what we're about to see today. We continue to wait. We anticipate. We're we're following what you said to do and looking for your return. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, so here we go. Uh, we're 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 now moving into the rest of the Revelation 19. Uh, this is going to be the return of the conqueror. Uh, I mean, since. That we've looked at the prophets of of, of old, uh, and they they talk about the day of the Lord, uh, and and this is this is the the second coming of Christ, which which led to some confusion for some people because they looked at what that looked like, and and that's why some people missed when he came the first time because they're looking for this conqueror, they see this this humble servant, and they're like, well, this isn't Messiah, but they missed that the prophets were also saying, no, we'll have the servant and we'll have the, the the suffering Messiah, we'll have the Lamb of God, we'll have the redemption as God lowers himself to take on human flesh to live the perfect life, to be the perfect Lamb. But after he resurrects and he ascends back to the Father, then we start looking for the second coming, and that is when the conqueror returns, and we're going to see that as John is shown that uh, in, in the rest of 19 as we're moving our way to the millennial kingdom, okay? So let, let's, let's look now as we're moving toward that battle of Armageddon, not much of a battle, uh, but, but we'll see what, uh, what John sees starting in verse 11, okay? He said, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, So no question, this is Jesus and, and, and John sees this. He says, Heaven opened. Now this is not like what, what, what John saw back in chapter four of the Revelation. When heaven opened and let John in, that's what happened in four, this speaks to heaven opening and Jesus is coming out. okay? You see you see the opposite of the two. Uh, they're a little different. Uh, this is the time which all of Revelation, Uh, as well as all redemptive history, has been pointing, okay? Jesus spoke of it himself. If you have your Bible, guess where I'm about to turn? Matthew 24. Okay, so remember, uh, uh, raise your hand if you've done your homework and read Matthew 24. Jerry? What are we waiting on? Okay, we've been talking about it. I appreciate your honesty. I bet you felt pressured to raise your hand. Uh, but anyway, so we we go to Matthew twenty four, and um, and we see that that Jesus speaks about this himself uh, in verse twenty seven, and and twenty seven, uh, going through thirty one. Okay, so we have Matthew. You, is everybody there with me? All right. So let's look. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, wherever the corpse is. There the vultures will gather, and we're going to see that in a very ugly way. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, And he will send out his angels, angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Well, here we are. Uh, So John stands, I mean, he's transfixed. His attention is riveted on the majestic, regal, mighty rider that he sees. And, And this is Jesus who ascended To heaven. Now if you if you if you have this, we did a study of Acts, and you can find those archives at themanchurch.com by clicking on media and then you can watch or listen to it and go back and look for the study of Acts. We know that in Acts chapter one, verses nine through eleven, we know that Jesus gave the final instructions, and we've talked about that that must be pretty important since that's the last thing he said, and we have to ask ourselves the question. Anybody doing that? To be disciples and go make disciples and teach all that he commanded? And what do we say about teaching all he commanded? You cannot teach what you don't know. Okay? Which, which is part of what we've been doing in here for years, okay? So so at this point he ascends back. This is the glorified Christ. He goes back to where he belongs. No more suffering suffering servant, all that's over. So now he has gone back to the right hand of the Father. And uh, and now he has been seated at the Father's right hand. And now he's about to receive the kingdom that the Father promised to him. Do you remember when we go back to when to when John went into heaven? And and what did what what was the big what was the big concern? Who is worthy? Who's worthy to take the, the earth back? Who can open the scroll? And of course he sees the Lamb. Who is worthy? Okay? Well now that's about to happen. He he's now seeing that Jesus is now going to take back uh, the 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 earth and the kingdom that his father promised him. Uh, the lamb of five, which I just talked about, uh, chapter 5, 1 through 7, has now left this lowly lamb, and he now is coming back for it, but he's coming back as a conquering king. As you've heard Scripture say, there might have been some confusion about the baby. There might have been some confusion about this guy walking around with all these followers saying that he's God. And people may have debated on whether he was God, whether well, he wasn't God. I wonder if this is him. Isn't that Joseph's son? All that garbage. Not this time. There'll be no debating on who he is when he comes back this time. He's coming back as the conquering king. The, the humble, mounted on a donkey colt, that baby is over. And now he is riding a white horse. Now, why is he on a white horse? What's significant about that? Okay, So he's on a white horse because in the Roman Empire or, or throughout time, this was always a, a symbol of victory. Uh, the, the victorious Roman generals in their processions, they'd always be on white horses because that's what that showed. Now, in this case, the the, the white horse also, because it is Jesus, is, is, is giving us an, uh, an image of spotless, unblemished, Absolutely holy character of the rider on the horse. You know, th- this horse is saying only this guy can ride a horse that looks like me because, because he meets the criteria. The horse, uh, like the other description, symbolic representing victory over his enemies, his sovereign rule, uh, his judgment of sinners has come. And then John says, and the one who sits on it is called faithful and true. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, land there for a minute. There has never been anyone in the history of the world that can be appropriately named faithful and true. That's all he's ever been. He has never not been faithful, and he has never not spoken the truth. Now, I want you to think about the opposite of this. What did Jesus say that uh, the prince of darkness, what his language is? Lies. When you're lying... Proverbs talks about this too. When we lie, remember we talked about this in other studies, but it's important to get this. If we got liars in the room, when we lie, we are speaking the language of the devil, because that's what he does. So it's not a mild thing to go. Well, I lie, but it's not a big deal. It's a big deal because now we're speaking. Look from a, from a, a, a redeemed liar. Oh man, I, I remember lying so much I, I couldn't remember who I told what. It got me in trouble quite a bit. Remember what your mama tried to teach you. If you just tell the truth all the time, you don't have to remember what you said. Uh, but but now, when when you were a liar like me, and you were scheming and moving and shucking and jiving, and always in trouble and getting yourself out of trouble and then back into trouble, uh, I was just speaking the devil's language. And uh, and and that that's why that sin is is so important. Uh, and I certainly have committed it in my life, and I'm ashamed of it. But I have been redeemed, and and one of the things about my redemption is that I've noticed is that I tell the truth now. Uh, and people go, you know, that 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 trust me, he, he never was that guy. Uh, so so you you can see that as as an example. So faithful and true, no more appropriate name for the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful to his promises, his language is truth. Opposite of Satan, whose language. Uh, is is lies and also opposite of Satan and what? Uh, safe? Satan's not faithful. Satan makes all kinds of promises he doesn't deliver on, but never Jesus. Okay, so next it's uh, John says in his righteousness he judges his his holy nature demands a holy righteous reaction to sin. I think this may be one of the most misunderstood characteristics of God. People keep thinking that somehow God can be lighthearted about sin. He can't. He he cannot. He hates sin. And the re- and he cannot, he can't he couldn't even if he there's no way that he can be okay with sin because of his holy nature. Now, we may have been convinced by the other person that God created Lucifer are our sin nature, which is most of the time what happens, uh, are his demons that somehow sin is no big deal. It's all right. It, it, it's it's fine. Uh, you know, you'll hear things like you know God loves you right where you are, which is true. But He didn't leave you there. Jesus hung out with sinners and did what? Called them to repentance. And when He left a group of sinners, they were changed. He wasn't okay so so this nature is going to demand this gore that we're about to see and and I, and I had somebody trying to debate me again this week oh, I just don't know about this thing about God hates sin and hates unrepented sinners I said well there's a couple examples uh we go back to to, to Genesis 6 when he says he regretted ever making them and he also killed everybody but eight people Killed everybody, but eight. Did he give them 120 years to repent? He did. But when they didn't, what did his nature demand? Destruction. Well, we're here again. These people who refuse to repent, if we don't repent, don't ever let anybody ever tell you that your redemption is unconditional. That is not true. Now, it's unconditional meaning you won't be denied redemption if you repent. But don't let anybody ever tell you that your redemption is unconditional. It has a condition of repentance. If you don't repent, you won't be forgiven and you won't be redeemed. And if you stay under your own authority and refuse to confess Jesus as Lord, you will not be redeemed. So don't let anybody sell you on this. Is all going to work itself out. Okay? And it's okay. Unca- everybody's going to go to heaven. That just isn't true. And it, I mean, we're, we're going to read today that we're going to see people that ain't going. And it's ugly. Okay. So so this his nature demands that he keep the promise that he will destroy all who refuse to repent because why? They're not made fully righteous by him. And if they're not if we're not fully righteous, we can't step into the presence of a holy God. Can't be done. You've heard me say this before. Hey, you don't have to be perfect. That's not, not true either. Yes, you do. Who makes us perfect? Jesus. But when he escorts us into the presence of his Father, he's made us fully righteous because if he hasn't, God's nature will kill us. Okay, So so understand that. He he can't be okay with sin. That's impossible. That's not his nature. So he's going to wage war. Suffering servant is over. He is now a warrior king against his foes. He will now be, listen, let's don't make God something he's not. Jesus Christ is about to be executioner of all ungodly, unbelieving, unrepentant sinners. Executioner. God's wrath is real, which is what makes his grace and mercy so wonderful. If he was if if God's wrath was not part, well, I mean, grace wouldn't be any big deal. Well, I'm glad, you know, I may or may not do it because I know he's going to give me a pass either way. He can't because of his nature. And then he starts describing, I love this, when John is describing his personal appearance. Don't you love that? His eyes are like a flame of fire. Now see, these were the eyes of the suffering servant once that reflected a a, a gentleness, a tenderness. But now, as the conquering king, the glorified Christ has eyes that are penetrating and piercing, seeing into the deepest, recesses of the human heart. These eyes that once cried over our rebellion, oh, this is big, now look to be flaming with the fire of judgment. Hey, I've already cried over you, and you didn't respond. I'm done crying about it. I now bring judgment. The age of grace is over. These eyes eyes are different now. Now they're the eyes of judgment. Remember us talking about that? When, When you look at the cross, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. For the redeemed, the cross is good news. The resurrection is good news. For those who reject Christ, the cross and the resurrection is their doom because they got no way to be redeemed without that. That same celebration of the redeemed is judgment for the unredeemed. That exclusivity. So we see that on his head many diadems. Now we know what this is. This is a ruler's crown. Uh, In this vision, they're they're worn by Jesus to signify his, his royal rank and his regal authority. And keep in mind, it says many. That means that he has collected all the ruler's crowns And now anybody, any idiot human, because we just saw the destruction of the greatest human empire that ever existed, the most powerful that man could ever produce, and he wiped it out in an hour. Okay? So what this is signifying is everybody else is a pretender. Anybody who claims to be a king, anybody who claims to be a ruler, they're all pretenders, and he's wearing the crown of each and every one of them because they've all been slayed, and the world has one king. And he has ultimate authority. He is sovereign. Nobody else is. And that's what he's seeing. Oh wow. So there's no more no more governments. Nope. That's over. Remember the remember the prophecy? The government all at rest on his shoulders. He'll be the only one. So so this is it. Uh, and then we, we get this. And this is not going to take long, and I know you might have been excited about this as I was. I went out to research. I want to know. I want to know. I've never had some of the most powerful men of, of 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 our faith handle something so frankly and so straightforward and told me to move on. And that is a name written that no one knows but himself. Do you know what I have to say about that? No one knows but himself. That's it. <laughs> You know why nobody can tell me what it says? Because Scripture says, and John says, I don't know what it says. Nobody knows what it says. Only he knows what this is. So we'll move on on that. There, there is a name uh, that is written uh, that is a name for himself, and it says that he's the only one that knows what it means or knows what it says. But we are going to get names that he He lets John see. Faithful and true is one. We're about to get another one, a couple more. But, but this particular mystery, no one knows the answer to. Now, is it possible? And that's all I'm saying. I remember I had a, one of my favorite Bible teachers said, it's okay to speculate as long as you acknowledge you're speculating. Don't speculate and don't acknowledge it as a speculation. No one knows into the subject. But speculation could be that maybe in the new heaven and the new earth, when we're in our glorified bodies and our sin nature is over, and the millennial kingdom is over, and now it's the new heaven and new earth, maybe he'll tell us then. Maybe we'll know. But John is limited. He said, I, I don't know what it says. And he knows, but nobody else knows. So he knows and nobody else knows. That's the end of that. Uh, so so then, then we see uh, the, one of the final elements. Now this is something you may have missed, and it needs to be corrected. Okay, Because sometimes people have this wrong. He's clothed with a robe that is dipped in blood. Now, many people incorrectly will say, well, that's the blood of his, the price he paid on the cross. That's not what that is. It is the blood of his enemies. It has splattered up onto his garment. He is, and you say, well, wait a minute, the battle hadn't taken place yet. How can he already have blood on his robe, but the battle hasn't taken place yet? Well, this is symbolic of back to him having the many crowns. All who have opposed me. I have been defeating and slaughtering throughout the redemptive history. And the blood of all those that have opposed me and the blood of all those that that, that have been wiped off the face of the earth because of their wickedness, because that has happened. Sodom and Gomorrah, Tyre, Sidon, uh, uh, I forget what the other one was, It was the best, no, I can't remember the other one. But they were, they they were, they were, they were, they were nations that were so wicked, God went ahead and destroyed them to begin with. Go back to the flood. All that's happened. So this is blood on this robe symbolizing I am a conqueror, and I've already destroyed all my enemies up to this point, and I'm about to get the final ones. So this is not representing the cross. Remember, the suffering servant is over. Okay, The lamb vision that John had in 5, that's over. This is the conquering king, so this blood is symbolic of the enemies are slaughtered and will be slaughtered. It's their blood, okay. So, uh, and, and the reason why it's before the battle, I just explain. So, this is the last battle, but you have to understand it's not the first. And I gave you examples of that. Uh, he has battled for his people throughout redemptive history, uh, and uh, and and of course, the war clothes he has bear the stains of the many previous slaughters, and he will be called the Word of God. Uh, You know, this is the name that leaves no doubt that this is the Lord Jesus Christ, if anybody had any doubt. Uh, You go to John 1-1, and what is Jesus called? He's called the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the second person of the Trinity, no doubt. This is the incarnate Son of God. He is the revelation of God. He is the full expression of the mind of God. Uh, He will complete the purpose of God. That's who he is, and that's what that, that, that's everything he represents. And you see that uh, represented as well. So let's go to verse 14. A lot in 11 through 13, but there's more. And then the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Now he will be accompanied, accompanied by armies which are in heaven. There'll be four divisions. Uh, there'll be the glorified believers. Okay, that's, that's the church. Uh, that that, uh, that had already made the decision to be redeemed. Uh, they were raptured. They're the glorified believers. They're represented. Then there's the tribulation believers, those that repented in the tribulation. They're there. Then we've got the Old Testament saints. They're a division. And then, of course, we have, um, uh, the, which by the way, the Old Testament saints will be uh, resurrected at the end of the tri- tribulation. If you want to see that, here's a reference for you. Daniel 12, 1 and 2. So the Old Testament saints are resurrected at the end of the tribulation, the dead in Christ, of course, we know that too. Uh, So that's Daniel 12, 1 and 2. And then, of course, the fourth division, Matthew 25, 31, will tell you about this, or a reference to it. These are the holy angels. So you got glorified believers, tribulation believers, Old Testament saints, and the holy angels. Here come all these armies dressed in fine linen. We're on white horses too. The heavenly army, though, if you'll make a note— we are unarmed because we're not needed. Uh, we don't have any weapons. We're not going to get to participate a whole lot in this, but it is wonderful to be riding with the one who wins. Okay? Uh, but he doesn't need us. Uh, there's no need for us to have weapons. He's got it covered, but here we are. What, can you imagine what that's going to be like? I mean, honestly, can you even imagine? I mean, first of all, we'll all be in glorified bodies. Thank goodness for that. You know, this these old bodies, man. They 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 get tired. They get they wear out. They get sick. They struggle. They die. And now we're in a glorified body, dressed in fine linen, dressed just like angels, riding on the white horse, and we're riding with the conquering king, who redeemed all of us. That's going to be special. That is going to be special. Let's look at fifteen and sixteen. So. We see the next thing. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, that's why he didn't need us, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Sharp sword, the power of Christ's words. He once spoke words of comfort, things like John 16, 33, in this world you will face tribulation, but always have joy in your heart. I say this so that you'll have peace because I've overcome the world. And, and, he, and he's always talking about his burden being light, and for God you know, so loved the world, and, and he's talking about redemption, and he's talking about all these wonderful things to us. But now the words that he will be speaking will be the words of death. He now wields a sword suffering servant, the age of grace, all of that is over, and he will strike down the nations, the wicked. They will be slaughtered, and they will be slaughtered instantly. The rest will be judged at the sheep and goat judgment uh, from Matthew 25, 31 through, through 46. This is the final stroke of death in the day of the Lord. Now, if you want to see all about this throughout the Old and New Testament, Uh, If you're ready, I'll give you some references to this that you can study later. Uh, Isaiah 66 speaks of this moment, 15 and 16. Ezekiel uh, 39, 1 through 4. Ezekiel uh, also 39, verses 17 through 20. The prophet Joel talks about this uh, in uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. New Testament. Matthew talks about this at that judgment we just talked about, Matthew 25:31 through46. You see that there. Uh, Paul talks about it to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9, and also chapter 2 verse 8. So this marks the onset of Christ's kingdom throughout the millennium. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. All will be required to conform to His law. All sinners will, they, they, they will, of course, be eradicated and he will, they will have to be under his rule in his kingdom. And, uh, and of course, we saw that being referenced uh, back early uh, in chapter two as well. So when it says he's going to tread the winepress of the fury of God's wrath. Now, remember the image of the winepress, it, it crushes, it, it mashes those grapes and pushes the juice out. And and so John is seeing this, and 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 he sees okay. So so Jesus will be wielding uh, the 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 wrath of of God, and he will put out the wine press, and he will crush all those who oppose him. And then he's wearing a banner type on on his uh, on his robe. There's a banner that, that 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 goes down over his thigh, and it's King of Kings and it's Lord of Lords. Now some people, some of the commentaries believe it's not literally written on his thigh it's on the banner that lays across his thigh. Uh, but the bottom line, however, it is on his person. John clearly sees that he is walking out with King of Kings and Lord of Lords on him. There's no, no doubt of who he is. He's letting the world know I'm the King of Kings. I'm the Lord of Lords and all who oppose me will be destroyed. And of course, this is the third name given to the Lord And 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 you know the only one that we don't know is the one that's only know, known to him in verse twelve, uh, and um, you know it it maybe the one that he that he doesn't know either since these all seem to express the same thing could be the mystery of his eternal deity or, or something along those lines, uh, but uh, but then you know we see in verse thirteen he's called the word of God expressing his carnation as the son of God, now king of kings and lord of lords will express his sovereign triumph over all foes, an absolute rule that soon will be established in his kingdom. So now let's look at verses 17 through 21. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which deceived those who had worshipped the mark of the beast and those who worship its image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh." You don't hear about this Jesus much, do you? This is not a very popular Jesus, but it is a Jesus that we better know. We better know. Once again, the angel is, is playing a key role. Now, do you notice that John says the angel was standing in the sun? So apparently the fifth bowl darkness has been lifted because John, the sun is visible to John. And, and I want you to picture. Can you see his silhouette? It's like it's almost like John sees the sun in the background, and this powerful angel's silhouette is standing there for this moment, crying out in a loud voice. And the angel is addressing all the birds which fly mid heaven overhead, inviting them to feed on the results of the carnage that will shortly ensue. This angel, and you got to love this. How many times have you, any of you ever been told about the wonderful thing about redemption? It would be like you going out into a battle and somebody telling you before you got out there you've already won. This angel is declaring victory that hasn't even taken place yet. This angel has no doubt about what's about to happen. He's telling the birds to prepare. He's not saying, hey, y'all hang around, and if we win, then they all have a lot to eat. I, I sure hope We win. You know, if we, if, we, if, we, if we do what we should do, we should be okay. He's not even remotely concerned about all these nations that face Jesus. He goes, hey, y'all about to have a lot to eat, and it ain't going to be us. He's already declaring the victory before it even happened. And, of course, you see they're assembling. And when he, when he, listen to what he's calling all these arrogant, prideful, pathetic human beings, and all of of Satan's demons, how pathetic these people are, and they're lined up with everything that you could possibly need to defeat any enemy that has ever existed on earth, the greatest army ever assembled, and the angel refers to them as supper for the birds. That that's how much y'all mean to, to us as you face the conquering king. You're nothing but supper for the birds. It's a much bigger deal than when you walk onto the field in Baton Rouge and they call you tiger meat. This is going to be, y'all ain't nothing but supper for these birds. That's all you are. And they think they're so powerful. And they're nothing. They're nothing. The gorging of the birds uh, will... will according to the time period when you think about this is over 200 miles of battle okay and and after the birds are gorged if you go to ezekiel 39:12 write that down ezekiel 39:12 ezekiel says that even after the birds have had all that they could possibly ever eat it'll take another 7 months to bury what's left that's how big a slaughter this is about to be now, I love in verse 18. Verse 18 could be called for the birds, what? The menu. Here's who all y'all about to eat. He says, you're going to eat kings from the top all the way down to slaves on the bottom. Nobody gets a royal burial. The birds are going to eat the kings just like they eat the slaves. Everybody will be equally consumed. Now, keep in mind why that's important. Certainly, it shows that everybody's equal when it gets down to facing destruction. But it also is showing these kings that are so full of themselves. There was nothing that would be more degrading for a king to die and be eaten by scavengers. That would be considered the worst dis that you could ever put on someone who was a king. The most disrespect you could ever put on somebody. And you know what he's saying? I'm not impressed with you. You may have been a big deal on earth, but right now you're just going to be eaten just like everybody else. There'll be no royal burial for you. So the birds eat the kings, and uh, and they're eaten by the vultures. Now, if you have your Bible, turn over to the prophet Zephaniah, and uh, it's uh, it's at the, almost at the end of, of uh, right before we get to the end of the of the Old Testament going into the New Testament. Uh, Zephaniah chapter 1 uh, listen to what he's saying about this day, beginning in verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is the day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty, lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy all the earth will be consumed For a full and sudden end, he will make all the inhabitants of the earth. Mm, mm -mm. Not a pretty picture, but we're seeing it now, what Zephaniah was talking about. In verse 19, all his enemies oppose him. Can you imagine the scene as they all stand over this gigantic battlefield, facing the vision that we just saw of Jesus and his armies? Of course, the beast, the Antichrist, the leader of the last worldly empire, the greatest in human history, by the way. Ten kings who represent the ten sectors of the Antichrist empire. The armies with firepower despair await the arrival of the rider. And look at verse 20. Two key figures are snatched and thrown into the lake of fire. Now, this is the first mention in the New Testament of the Lake of Fire, and this this marks the the final hell. Matthew twenty five forty one talks about this. Isaiah six sixty six twenty four says it's a place where the worm shall not die, fire shall not be quenched. Jesus in Mark nine forty eight, uh, and uh, and also in Matthew thirteen forty two, says it's a place where you will have weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, and and think about how significant this is. So you've got the final hell that eventually Satan and, and his last rebellious demons will, will, will be thrown at the end of the millennial kingdom. But right now, he says, I tell you what, though, Antichrist and false prophet, y'all going to be the first two people to be thrown in hell. Y- y- he says, why? Y- y'all y'all led this deception. Y'all caused people to worship the beast. Uh, you false prophet, you, you claim to be one of mine, and you use that trust that people had in you By the way, these people are everywhere right now, these false teachers, and you deceive these people to their doom, and I'm going to show everybody. There's going to be a lot of folks join you, but let me tell you the first two people are going to be thrown into the final hell. That's going to be y'all. And you know how long it takes Jesus to snatch them and throw them into hell? About that quick. You two go first. Now, can you imagine the chaos that ensues? You've got all these armies, and they're like, hey, we we got the beast with us. We saw him resurrect himself. It was a dupe. And, we, and, and we've been told by the false prophet that he's the new person to worship, that he's worthy of all the worship. We worshiped him over anything else. Uh, we killed everybody that wouldn't worship him. And he's leading them into this battle. And what do you learn about war? I mean, people have been doing this on warfare all along. Can, if you take out the leaders, then chaos ensues. Can you imagine you're standing there and you've been duped by the beast that somehow we're going to beat Jesus? And all of a sudden, the beast is just snatched right there and thrown into the lake of fire right in front of you. And the false prophet with him, you go, hmm, we may miscalculate miscalculated this. <laughs> this, uh, this does not look good. Think, think about how intimidating that was, that Jesus flexed his muscles so fast. So um, even though these are the first two, and this is what's sad, and it, it ought to be what motivates us in the time we're living right now, these two are going to go first, but unfortunately, according to Scripture, many will follow. Many will follow. Hell has always existed, but this is the final version, unlike Hades that we that we hear as a temporary holding place in, in, uh, in Luke 1623. Uh, uh, Satan also is going to be there a thousand years from now. Verse 21. He slays everybody else. This is the sheep and goat judgment. And the birds get all that they can eat. Jesus slays them with nothing but the spoken word. He just speaks their destruction. And he slaughters them. We know in Scripture they said the blood will be so high that it will reach the stomach of horses. And the birds will gorge themselves until there's just... No more that they can possibly eat. So when when you think about this visual, you start thinking about the job that we've been given. That by the way, Jesus doesn't need us. You know, his his will is something that we get to do. It's not something we have to do. But I I guess if we really believe what we claim to believe, I just I don't I don't really understand. And I, and I used to be this way. And I will tell you why. I had, At one time, I had a different feeling about this. And I'm just going to challenge all of you in the room. I'm going to challenge those of you that are watching and listening. Do you know why at one time I didn't have, have any urgency about making disciples? I didn't have any urgency about telling people about Jesus. Would you like to know why? Because I was lost. Now, I pretended that I wasn't lost because I believed the right things. But there was no urgency in me whatsoever. There was no real conviction over sin. I didn't take sin serious. I didn't take obedience serious. And the only reason why I didn't, it's no more complicated than I was just lost. And I think sometimes one of the the cruelest things— that was going on in my life for years. I look about those years of destruction that I was causing, and the thing that was keeping me from redemption was the facts. The thing that kept me from redemption is I never would acknowledge that I was lost. Once I acknowledged that, redemption redemption came quite beautifully. And transformation came beautifully and continues to this day. The... If you don't have an urgency about this, and you have no concern about the sin in your life, if I can just be real with you, brothers and sisters that may be watching this, there's a very strong chance the reason why that is is you're just lost. Now, you may believe the right things, but but if you, if you haven't repented and left faith in yourself and confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord— then you just have a demonic faith because they believe everything too. And that's who I used to be. Now, that doesn't mean that's who you are. I'm just saying that's who I used to be. But I would assess it. I would assess it. Zechariah, chapter 14, 1 through 13, he, he, he talked about this day that John just saw. And that is coming, by the way. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you, will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the house plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. And when he fights on the day of battle, on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half half southward. Can you imagine this day? And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach Zal. And you, and, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. See Zachariah is seeing this day. On that day there shall be no light, cold or frost. There shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but an evening time at evening time there shall be light. On on that day living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth, and on that day the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain. From Giba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site. From the gate of Benjamin, to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate. From the tower of Hananel, to the king's wine presses. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day a great panic from the Lord shall fall upon them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected gold, silver, garments in great abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall upon the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, whatever beast may be in those camps. Romans 13. If you have your Bible, let's turn there, and we'll close. Romans 13. What a sobering, sobering picture We're seeing throughout Scripture about the day that John is now seeing, and this is a day that is coming. Romans 13, 12 through 14. Paul warns about this day. Jesus warned about this day. Do you remember one of the things that Jesus said about this day? People won't take it serious. People would just be going through their day just like they did in the days of Noah. And just like they weren't expecting the flood, they will not expect the wrath of God to come. And here's what Paul says. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, the second coming of the Lord. So then let us cast off all the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Paul says, knowing that this day is coming, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in not in in quarreling, not in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, talks about how the Lord will destroy everything. That the earth, that everything about it will will just be in an instant. It'll all be gone and refined by fire. And he says something similar to what Paul just said. Paul's giving specific instruction. But Peter almost goes common sense, just like the fisherman who's older and wiser now and knows that he's going to die his earthly death before this day. He knows that. Jesus already told him that. And Peter, just with all the logic in the world, says to those of us that claim to be redeemed and claim to believe that this day is coming, he said, the fact that we know this and the fact that we believe this, you would think we would live lives that were godly and righteous and holy. You would think that we would live differently if we truly believe that this day is coming. And can I tell you, it really does affect people, as we've been told in Scripture. When we claim that the wrath of God is coming and the age of grace will end one day, we claim to believe that, and we claim all this horror that we just saw in Scripture, we claim that all that's coming. And then people who are lost and are trying to consider whether it's a big deal, they see us living as if it's not. You know what they say? They must not really believe it. They must not really believe it. I mean, if if I was sitting up here, some of you have seen me speak place for and use this analogy, but it's pretty simple and that's all I can do. I'm too simple to have a deep analogy. I'm holding a bottle of water for those of you that may be listening and not watching. And it's, it's in a plastic bottle. It's a bottle of water. And let's say that I read scripture after scripture after scripture that said that God deemed bottled water to be dangerous. And scripture said that no one who's a follower of Jesus should drink bottled water. And that bottled water will bring the wrath of God on me, and and I I will be destroyed, and I will rot, and I will be gorged by birds where I stand if I drank bottled water. And I just kept on drinking it. Would you believe it? Would you think I believe it? But it still might be true. I just may be a bad example. But if you start drinking it with me, you're going to rot with me. Because it was true, and I claimed that I believed it was true, but I lived in a way that didn't seem to confirm it and validate it. So you begin to doubt that I really believed it. Because I sure didn't live like I did. Are you living, preparing for the day of the Lord? Does the day of the Lord get pushed back on all the stuff that we really care about? Are you more concerned about your football team than the day of the Lord? Are you more concerned about who your children are going to turn out to be and be applauded by the world and whether they're the devout devout followers of Jesus or not. Are you willing to compromise the faith if they could maybe be elevated a little bit by the world? Are you pursuing wealth and security at the compromise of eternity? Are you trying to spend your time on the temporal and maybe not much time on the eternal well, as we've said many times, you may be redeemed. I, I don't know that. You, you and God know that. Some of you, I know your lives, and I see the evidence of redemption. Some of you, I don't know very well, so I don't know. But, but it may not cost you. You may have done enough. But boy, the way that we live can certainly cost other people. Amen. So I'll just say what Paul said and what Peter said. If you really believe it, then straighten up. Cut the garbage out of your life. Eradicate the sin. And live lives that look like that you're looking for the day of the Lord. Because eternity depends on it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the conviction of the message. Thank you for the challenge of the message. Lord, I'm just so thankful that you love the redeemed enough that you you let John see these things so he could warn us. It's, it's not like you haven't warned us. I mean, I, I, I hear your words and I feel the way I have felt as a parent sometimes to my children When I told them what was coming, and I told them what they should and shouldn't do, and when they didn't listen, the times I've looked at them and said, I told you this was going to happen. Well, you have certainly told us what's going to happen. May we heed the warning, and may we make the adjustments, and may those that are watching and listening that that don't have the reassurance, they're thinking to themselves, I think I would be with those that Jesus slaughters. Or I think if I die before that day ever happens, I'm going to be judged at the judgment seat. And I'm going to be a goat, not a sheep. And I'm going to be thrown into that lake of fire with the beast and the false prophet. Maybe today's the day that the the Lord has spoke to you. And you say, today I repent. I repent of my sin. Today I leave faith in myself and I put my faith in you, Jesus. And as best I know how, I say, please forgive me. And I know only you can. And will you transform me so I too can be glorified with you? Forgive me, Lord. Maybe some of us, we don't doubt our redemption, but man, we got to make some adjustments. We, we We are too sinful. We are too worldly. And we are sending a very confusing message to our families, to our friends, and to the strangers out there watching. And today, Lord, I take that serious. Because you told me to prepare for this day, for the day that I'll meet you, either from my earthly death or on the day that you return. And as, as Paul told the the Thessalonians, don't you want that to be a day that you look forward to, not a day that you fear? Maybe i got to make some adjustments in my life. But, Lord, I'm not just going to say it this time, and I'm not going to say I need to one day. I'm going to do it today. And today I commit myself to you and I, I reject the sin in my life. And I get back to the sanctification that only you provide by abiding in you, not in my flesh. Whatever's happening in here, Lord, we thank you for the, for the grace and the mercy that you have made available to us. And in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.